Hello, and welcome to the Libertarian Podcast. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, joined, as always, by the Libertarian himself, Professor Richard Epstein, Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, as well as Professor of Law at NYU and Senior Lecturer at the University of Chicago. Today, AT&T, Time Warner, and the Justice Department. And Richard, as you and I are recording this, we are just a few hours removed from the news that the Justice Department is suing to block AT&T's proposed acquisition of Time Warner. There, there have been signs for a while that this might be coming, but I want to start our discussion on the assumption that most of our listeners don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about antitrust law and just have you walk us through the basic principles here, sort of separate and apart from this particular case. What criterion or criteria does it usually take for the federal government to step in and say, uh-uh, we're not allowing this merger or acquisition to go forward? Okay. Well, the first thing to understand is that the antitrust law basically has three different kinds of situations, all which tend to call for somewhat different responses. Uh, the first one of these is essentially competition to the death, otherwise known as predation. And generally speaking, it's not an antitrust problem because people find themselves going broke when they try to get other people out of business by lowering the prices so low that everybody comes to them. Uh, then there are two other kinds of arrangements that are extremely important. One, which is very potent, are horizontal arrangements. That means rival sellers in the same line of business who combine together and they either fix prices so as to reduce output or divide territory so each of them has a local monopoly in which he could raise prices. And these arrangements, unlike predation, turn out to be very durable. And so therefore what happens is the antitrust law comes in and says that you cannot do these. These arrangements come in two forms. One of them is people get together and they don't merge and they just simply set prices. And that is generally regarded as a per se offense under the antitrust law, meaning something for which there's no excuse, and you strike them down. Uh, the more complicated variation is when you have companies that are otherwise rival to one another in the same business, and what they do is they decide to merge together. And at this particular point, there's a famous trade-off. Uh, two companies together may be able to provide the services more efficiently than one, but two companies together may have sufficient degrees of market power that you're uneasy about the efficiencies that are created. Uh, so what happens today is we have legislation, the Hart-Scott-Rodino Act, and what this particular legislation does is it brings the entire merger up before the boards that are involved with it, and you pass to see whether or not the reduction in concentration is sufficiently important so as to offset the efficiencies. Uh, this is often done by numbers. Uh, so if, in fact, you want to go from two to one, forget about it. You'll never get away with it. If you want to go from five to four, you'll almost always get it. If you want to go from three to two, it's almost always illegal. And you want to go from four to three, it turns out to be kind of questionable whether you can succeed or not. There's a technical index known as the Herfindahl Index, which measures concentration. It's pretty good. It's not perfect. And essentially, it's the guide to these things. Now, the third kind of arrangement is essentially companies get together, but they're not horizontal. They're not computers. What they are is they're in different lines of the production distribution cycle. So somebody makes something, somebody else transmits it to a group of people, and somebody then takes it down to the retail level. And generally speaking, the law has been quite sympathetic with respect to vertical arrangements because what they do is they don't expand monopoly power because the two companies are in different areas. But the efficiencies from having a very effective way to uh, go from the creation of content to the transmission of content have generally been regarded as positive. 
And that's exactly the kind of merger that's involved with respect uh, to Time Warner. It's a large content company. It's got a bunch of subsidiaries. I got one of them is CNN. Um, and it wants to merge with a pipe company. And there is going to be no enhancement of monopoly power. So the sort of canonical view on this stuff is that bigness is not badness unless it allows you to change quantity or price. And so one would have thought in this particular case, this particular merger would have gone through. Let me mention at the outset that there are many catastrophes that take place uh, when you have content companies merging with transmission companies. The most glorious one of these involved Time Warner itself when it tried to merge with AOL many, many years ago. And people said, oh, what a behemoth, we can't possibly survive. And then by the time it was done, AOL had so misplayed its hand that Time Warner became the dominant part and the two things split up again because there was no gains for them coming together. But generally speaking, you don't make judgments in the antitrust laws as to whether or not the ATT people and the folks from Time Warner know what they're doing. If it succeeds as a business matter, amen, brother. If it fails as a business matter, well, then they'll separate and they'll go their separate ways. That's not an antitrust concern. Antitrust concerns are generally concerned with situations where you restrict output and raise prices, and not where it turns out that you make business miscalculations. So given that context, fair to say that you think the Justice Department is playing a pretty weak hand here? I think that's the general consensus among most antitrust experts, that this is a sort of a mistake. What they, they are trying to do is essentially to capture the sort of the fear that takes place when you get two companies with very large net worths coming together. Uh, but I don't think that they've shown anything about this. They have made statements to the effect that we much prefer structural relief to term relief, and that's a perfectly adequate statement, but it's inapplicable in this case. And let me explain what it means so people can see why you don't carry it over. Suppose you have two companies and they basically are competitors, but they work in somewhat different geographical markets, but there's an overlap in some slice of their two markets. What the government might say is, uh, if you're in separate geographical markets, there's no increase in concentration, so that's all right. But to the extent of that overlap, you're going to have to divest companies uh, from one or another of these people because otherwise it turns out that you're too powerful and divestiture is a clean remedy. Another kind of remedy is not to change the structure of the firms, but to impose restrictions on the way in which you do business. And you can say, well, if you're going to put these two companies together, then one of them has to agree not to sell in this market and the other has to agree not to do that. I think the Justice Department is right to say that in general, but not universally, uh, these restrictions on how you conduct your business are very difficult to enforce because you have to constantly monitor what goes on. And so generally what you're going to look to is going to be simple structural relief. But if you're talking about companies that are integrated vertically one to another, nobody thinks that any form of divestiture makes any sense. Um, if it turns out that the Time Warner people don't have any monopoly in the various areas in which they talk, news, entertainment, or whatever, the merger with AT&T is not going to increase their monopoly power. So there's no need whatsoever for a divestment. So uh, the talk that the Justice Department makes about the dominance of structural uh, remedies is appropriate, I think, in the horizontal market we have competitors merging, but not in the vertical market. And this is not something which is novel, unique to me. What I'm doing here is repeating standard orthodoxy on this particular subject. There have been reports on this topic that the Justice Department told AT&T at one point that in order for the acquisition to go off, they were going to have to spin off some property, something big like DirecTV or Turner Broadcasting. And the Turner piece of that has raised the eyebrows of a lot of people who – 
are have in mind the, the president's contempt for CNN, which is part of Turner, and think that maybe this is his attempt to get back at them. And AT&T has said that it's willing to go to court to see if there's any evidence of the White House steering the DOJ on this. We don't know whether there is, but Richard, let's indulge a hypothetical for a moment and say there was. What would be the consequences of that? I mean, obviously, every one of these cases is going to be a little bit different, and there is a lot of discretion involved. What are the limits on the concessions the government can ask for in an antitrust matter? Well, I mean, if the president is getting himself involved, he is the chief executive reporter. And, of course, everybody in the attorney general office happens to report to him that is in the in the DOJ. So it's nothing which is absolutely improper in terms of what's going on. The difficulty that the president has is that, generally speaking, this is to be done in accordance with statute. And if he announces a non-statutory ground on which he's prepared to oppose this particular merger, it's going to compromise the position that the Justice Department is going to put forward when it decides to announce to the rest of the world that it believes that there are legitimate antitrust grounds on which to show this thing down. So this is a classic case of the president putting his foot in his mouth and making the task of the people who work for him more difficult than they would otherwise uh, turn out to be. Um, I would tend to discount this information. I think the really key question here turns out to be the fundamentals associated with this particular deal. And generally speaking, if you've got two content lines that are complementary to one another. The theory is that if you have them in a single company, there may be synergies in the way in which they can organize the production of their goods or market their goods, which is a good thing. And if it turns out that that's a sensible arrangement, then it's absolutely bizarre for the Justice Department to say, get rid of CNN in order to keep DirecTV or something of the sort, because now what you're doing is you're taking a company which operates quite cohesively and you're making it less efficient uh, than it would otherwise be. So I think on the bottom line, of all of this stuff is most people come up with the general position that the government is going to have to show a lot more in order to make this thing go. And that what you're really seeing going on here is a strand of Trumpism, which in fact is quite powerful. It's the kind of populism strand. And populism is essentially a kind of diffuse anger at large and powerful institutions, which is unrelated to the specific forms of conduct in which they engage in. And it takes place all the time in this country. Uh, the difficulty with it is it plays much better um, in, you know, in the media and in the political campaign than it does play in the courts. Because I think what one can say is when I talk about the consensus, antitrust is an area in which there was relatively little difference between what the Democrats think when they were in power and what the Republicans think when they're in power. It's a field in which it turns out there's some kind of general consensus, which is bipartisan. So I think that the president's going to have a hard time persuading judges, no matter where they come from, that he ought to do this. I mean, there is the Elizabeth Warren ring of the Democratic Party, which will be thrilled by the things that the president says. But that, I think, should be regarded as a profound irony that two people who are so apart in so many ways come together on the wrong side of a rather complicated issue. It is striking that we're talking about an antitrust case that has to do primarily with the creation and distribution of, of media content and that we're talking about it at a time when the salient feature of the media environment is generally how much content there is coming from how many different sources. Uh, is this a field, Richard, where we really need to worry about market power right now? What would it take to get you concerned about media consolidation? Well, it would take a complete transformation of the way in which information is organized and transmitted for me to be worried about what's going on. Um, one of the difficulties that you have with the standard indexes that I talked about a moment before, that is going from a two to one to a five to four merger type situation, is that the current people in the particular market 
will basically be only a fraction of what the market's going to be in five years. Some of them may disappear, but more importantly, other people will start to arise. And so if you're starting to look at the entertainment business, there are all sorts of specialty things coming on, uh, which put themselves out over Apple TV or some other stuff, and they don't use broadcast TV at all. And uh, there are other kinds of companies that are putting out all sorts of conduct, which essentially are subdivisions that of two major companies get together and create a subsidiary, and they put that out. There's just a tremendous amount of turmoil, and there's a tremendous amount of technological innovation. And generally speaking, the antitrust law works best in industries that are relatively stable, like electricity, transmission, and things of that sort. And any kind of dynamic industry, it turns out what's here today is gone tomorrow, and the antitrust law simply cannot keep up with what's going on. Remember the time frames that are involved here. An antitrust action of the sort that the government wants could take years to essentially be into place. And the likely transformation in the information and technology and entertainment industries over a three or four year cycle, it may be two generations of what's going on relative to what had been before. Uh, so you're always going to be lagging behind what you need under these circumstances. And so the general rule is save your money and worry about something else. The antitrust division has an extremely effective program in place right now, which it says in the cases of horizontal mergers that or price-fixing arrangements, the first guy to rat on everybody else in the conspiracy gets away and doesn't have to pay price treble damages, he only has to pay actual losses. So what you do now is you create a standard prisoner's dilemma game, and everybody's very nervous about entering into horizontal arrangements for the fear that once it starts to get a little bit dicey, somebody else is going to blow their cover, increase the likelihood that they're going to be caught, and slap them with treble damages. That's a perfectly sensible way to do things. But vertical arrangements are dominantly efficient arrangements, and entry by new independent companies are almost always an efficiency arrangement. So you don't want to bring the cast of mind that you have to horizontal transactions over to what's going on in this very tumultuous but very productive tech industry. And in fact, the one thing that everybody doesn't like, I think, are the net neutrality regulations. And that's because what you're trying to do is to make these people into public utilities so that you could regulate their rates. And the moment you start doing that, what you see is what we've already seen is there's going to be a decline in the level of innovation uh, because there's now an upper bound on what you could expect to get when you succeed with something because the friendly FCC is going to be looking over you. And indeed, the FCC under Trump has gone in exactly the opposite direction. And they're probably going to relax the net neutrality rules, which I think would be all to the good. Final question that I'll put to you. I I know that antitrust is one of those areas on which there really isn't a clear libertarian consensus. There's a lot of infighting in the ranks over this. Can you just briefly explain the division and what a classical liberal like yourself thinks of as kind of first principles on this. Okay. Well, first of all, I think there's very little disagreement amongst uh, various kinds of libertarians about the desirability of vertical arrangements. Those people who are turned with freedom of contract and are worried simply about force and fraud see none of it in vertical arrangements. And people who are more concerned about efficiency and social welfare, the classical liberals, see essentially mainly efficiencies coming out of vertical arrangements um, and less to very exceptional situations. The area in which there's going to be the most difference is the area which is not involved in this case, which is horizontal arrangements. And here, uh, what happens is the standard libertarian is very uneasy about the way in which these cartels operate. Uh, they don't want to enforce them generally, but they think if you don't enforce them, the cheating will undermine the entire operation, so you don't have to get government intervention. And then on the other hand, the classical liberals say, you know, these guys are really ingenious about the way in which they put their schemes together. 
And it may be that some of these cartels will ultimately fail, but in the interim, they can do a lot of damage. And so we have to have direct enforcement. That's a very difficult debate to see yourself through the bottom. A lot of it depends upon the way in which the particular cartel works, the number of players it has, whether there's a dominant player of one sort or another who might be able to stabilize the situation. Um, it's also clear that if these things have to go underground, they're likely to be very unstable, whereas if they can be explicit like OPEC, they could ask for a long period of time. Although even OPEC constantly is being hurt now by the fact that American companies that frack have an ever larger share of the energy content in the world uh, so that the percentage share that the OPEC company has is shrinks and thus their premiums shrink, which is why the price of gasoline and oil have gone down in the last couple of years. Uh, the cartel cannot make it because it can't keep the other entries out. So I think in effect it's a cross between the two positions. And my own line is you don't worry about antitrust enforcement where dynamism dominates and you do worry about about direct enforcement in cases where industry structures seem to be a little bit more permanent. And I think altogether the AT&T case is one in which the government ought to hold its hands. Nothing that I've seen that has come out of the Justice Department suggests that the general rules which favor vertical integrations should be put aside in this particular case. All right. Thank you, Richard, and thank you to our listeners. And remember, you can find Richard's weekly column, The Libertarian, by visiting Defining Ideas at hoover.org, and you can follow him on Twitter at Richard A. Epstein. I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.